Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning. Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians this morning. Um, so this is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through the end of the chapter. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, is, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God, uh, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning, Rev family. It's so good to be back with you. My name is Derek, and Happy New Year. January 1, New Year, 2023. This is awesome. I'm so grateful for this church, for Bren and the eldership and the, the entire team that's leading you. Uh, continue to pray for them as I know they're praying for you and for the, the health and, and future vibrancy of this congregation to impact uh, this this part of Boise. Um, I love personally being a part of churches like this. This isn't my home church, but I love to be able to have a connection with churches like this that that uh, align uh, with with the gospel message and and making disciples. Uh, I, I love being able to serve in churches like this on occasion. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to be back with you today. By now, I'm guessing that uh, you've eaten all the saturated fats and and all the sugars and the gluten that your body can probably handle. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing that you've probably watched or you've heard in the background all the football that you can handle or maybe all the Hallmark movies that you can handle, whichever. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing that uh, as we look into this next week that your stress levels might begin to be peaking just a bit as, as, uh, as, as the new week looms around the corner and we're not quite ready for work yet, are we? <laughs> or school. I suspect that, uh, that we could all use a good dose of hope. That's my working assumption as we start this new year. Just be good to have a good shot of hope, wouldn't it? Hope. It's an optimistic idea of a better tomorrow. Hope. It's a safety net when your life is, is free-falling and unraveling all around you. Hope. It dispels pessimism and doubt. Hope overcomes impossibilities. 
Here's an illustration that might get at this. In the Middle Ages, the sea route from Europe around the Horn of Africa to India, that, that route seemed impossible. It was, it was often discussed in the great economic and political sources and scenes and centers in Europe. They, they used to wonder whether uh, there could ever be a successful route around the bottom tip of Africa to that rich land of spices in India. <laughs> Many had tried, and in the Middle Ages, all had failed primarily due to the horrific weather patterns around the Cape's uh, position between the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean currents. The, the south, southern Cape of Africa is situated at the convergence of, of this really narrow, strong, warm, Mozambique, Agolhas current from the Indian Ocean. And it, it, it doesn't always mesh nicely with the cool Benguela undercurrent from the depths of the Atlantic and the Antarctic waters. Thus, the tip of Africa has become known as, in the Middle Ages, the Cape of Storms. Then Vasco da Gama, a Portuguese explorer, decided he was going to try. It would be over a 6,000-mile nautical journey. And when he succeeded (laughs) over what was impossible... It could never be doubted again that it could be done. He proved that to sail the treacherous seas was not an inevitable disaster. He proved it. Thus, the Cape of Storms became known as the Cape of Good Hope. Now, the storms are still there. Uh, the, the difficulty through the rough seas is, is still a reality, So why change the name? Because someone found a way through. Someone made a way when no one thought there was a way. Someone instilled hope. Now for us, our best hope as followers of God, our best hope is personified and found within Jesus. He made a navigational way through, didn't he? where no one had made a way before. He made it. Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus opened up a new and living way for us through his flesh, removing that curtain so we have access to God in the holy place. And a few chapters later in Hebrews 12, we're implored to fix your eyes on that hope, on Jesus, the pioneer, the navigator, the founder, the perfecter of our faith and our hope. Fix your eyes on him. So my prayer leading up to this worship gathering, this new day of this year, is that whatever you're feeling about the difficulty in front of you, that whatever tumultuous seas you're trying to navigate, that this message would be a word to encourage you forward, to move forward as we look at today from an eternal angle from an eternal perspective. So let's get at that big point, maybe through this analogy. Uh, When I was in high school, I'm an avid golfer. I used to work at a golf course in high school and into college, and I used to refurbish golf clubs. Um, This actually was a set of clubs, at least a picture of a set of clubs that I used to play with. I used to refurbish clubs like this. 
they come through the pro shop and mahogany wood with the beautiful grains and they're kind of dinged up. And so I'd take them home, I'd buy them, take them home and I'd, I'd strip them down and I'd sand them and I'd stain them and I would polish them. I'd dip them in polyurethane and they would look like this. They would look brand new by the time I was done with them. Now today, I play a different set of clubs. Here's the set of clubs that, well, I would dream of if I could have Christmas again. These look brand new. These are amazing. These are, notice the familiar shape, you know, uh, but everything is new with these clubs. I mean, they're re-engineered, the club head, the weight, the angle, the adjustments. You can put a really expensive shaft next to it or connected to it and a grip, and man, the ball flies so far because of the clubs, right? No, <laughs> The clubs help a lot. They're new and improved. And these new clubs are actually pretty energizing. These new clubs are actually pretty empowering. You feel like, yes. Same is true, I guess, for automobiles, for sewing machines, for computers. Does anybody remember the Intel 286 chip? You know? (laughs) A new design today accomplishes the original purpose, but in a much better way. Sounds like God's own history. Something new and better replacing the old. Rehearse with me for a minute. Just retrace with me God's original design. On the very first page of our Bible, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible describes these two realms of heaven and earth, sky and land. The Bible describes these as not completely separate from one another, but actually somewhat of an overlap with one another. Originally, this overlap between the heavens and the earth would be where God and his living creatures could coexist together in purity and holiness. In fact, Eden is described not just in Genesis, but throughout the scriptures as this beautiful overlap where both the heavens and the earth exist, where the tree of life is the place of communion that we just sang about for God to be with humanity. These pictures are from the Bible Project. If you want to explore that a little bit further, I just borrowed those to get the visual. Originally, in, in the earth part of the overlap, humans are the supreme creation of God. No other creation and no other creature in the heavens or in the earth are made in the image or made in the likeness of God. And God says, very good to no other creature than Humans Originally, as part of their DNA, Adam and Eve were supplied with God's gift to live with him in that overlap forever. From the beginning, God planned his specially made image bearers to play a major role with him. This is humanity's highest calling. This is our supreme calling to partner with God and to care for his creation in this earth part of that heaven and earth overlap. But not everybody liked that plan. The Bible introduces the villain of God's story, a spiritual being who has gone off the rails in rebellion against God. He doesn't want humans to rule with God. So taking on the form of a serpent, this slithery opponent of God lies to the humans, tricking them to distrust him and then disobey him. Unfortunately and ultimately, Adam and Eve forfeit eternal life with God in that overlap. That was Satan's trap to cause a gap in the overlap. 
God's heart was broken, as you can imagine. There was no longer a place of convergence for the heavens and the earth. With sin now a reality, that overlapping union with God dwelling with humanity is now severed and separated. So the human couple, Adam and Eve, is is exiled to wander the earth all alone, away from God. And over time, Satan's spiritual rebellion against God expands and grows, following the humans outside of Eden, and things get worse as the sin gap between God and humanity widens. Holiness is no longer the default uh, identity for humans. God's good created world is now infected with a foreign invader, death. Death now has stung all humanity and death now has altered the heavens and the earth. And for us today, even in this new year, we, uh, we, this kind of all seems normal to us. We've learned to expect natural disasters and violence and we've gotten numb to dandelions populating our yards every spring and leaves falling off the trees into our gutters every fall. We've adapted to this fallenness of illness and funerals. That wasn't God's original design. Although God's good creation has been infected with sin and death, God promises a new creation one day. Not just a refurbished creation, uh, like those little golf clubs that I made to look new, but actually a brand new replacement of the old the biblical concept comes from, at least starts with Isaiah, the prophet. He, in the middle of, of people's frayed lives at the ends, Isaiah speaks on behalf of God when he says these words in chapter 65, for behold, he quotes God, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. In Isaiah's day, God's people, like maybe in our day, are in turmoil. They're in anguish, losing hope. And so God makes a promise to encourage them to keep moving forward. He says, I'm making something new. The old will not be remembered. And I'm wondering if God might even add, and not even by me (laughs) will it be remembered. The old with all its sin and all of its death and all of its pain will be done away with, gone forever. So here's my point that I want to keep elaborating on and expanding on. Hope in God's creation, his new creation, gives us strength to move forward today. Hope in God's new creation gives us strength to move forward this day. Until it's complete, all creation groans for something new. Do you hear the groaning of our natural world? We've gotten used to it, but do you actually hear the groaning? Earthquakes and typhoons and tsunamis and hurricanes and volcanoes. These are groanings of the present planet for a new one, for something new. It's an amazing planet we're on. Have you explored it? It's a beautiful, jaw-dropping planet, but it's, let's be honest, broken. And it's infected with sin and death. And as we humans echo that planetary groan, Paul says, inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. These are that wordless, deep groans of the soul 
there is a persistent yearning, an earnest longing for a better day when all wrongs will be made right. In that day, we rejoice, but today, we groan. Back to Isaiah for a second. He prophesies a better day for suffering people, a hope we can live for today. He quotes God again in chapter 43. I'm about to do something new. I'm going to provide a way to walk through the desert. And it'll be refreshing, kind of like streams of water in a dry and empty land. Streams of water will be a rare idea in Isaiah's day where those people were. God created something to lead us forward. Another exodus, if you might say it that way, a departure out of the enslaving control of sin and death. So despite our best efforts to lead ourselves as Americans into something new, we can do it. Despite despite our best efforts, despite our rebellious, distrusting heart, he actually is pulling us forward and leading us out of the old into a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know, it makes me eager. Makes me ready. How about you? But you know, God is not just leading us into a new day of hope. He's drawing all nations together as one into this new exodus. That's always been his plan because all nations, regardless of their mother tongue, are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. All nations are dealing with the ramifications of sin and death in this old creation. So when God said he's making all things new, this includes a new humanity, not just a new planet, an international, multicultural, multi-skin color, multilingual, multi-ethnic people all together, not segregated anymore. Can you imagine that? Nations united without a United Nations resolution? (laughs) One people at peace with one another? On that day, no more racial barriers, no more entitlement or disregard over skin color, no more upper class or middle class or lower class or people with no class. We're talking all are equal in the new heaven and the new earth. It's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? But try Try this new day of this new year. A creation is kind of beyond our imagination. That's why God uses the Holy Spirit to spark within us imaginations, to kind of re-image and to re-picture, and he invites all nations to get ready. He invites us to get ready with something that's kind of hard to imagine except for the Spirit's prompting. So when would this new creation come? Well, Jesus actually began to forge it during his ministry by confronting evil and boldly, confidently, joyously announcing that God's reign and God's rule was arriving here in our midst. And then Jesus willingly let evil do its worst to him. And healing for the nations reached climax at the cross and was exclamation marked at the empty tomb. And in Jesus, we dwell again with God in this new creation overlap. Hmm. This Jesus, this living Jesus opens up a new way, a new Eden where we can walk with him unhindered by sin and death. Are you ready for that day? Can you begin to taste it a little bit like the original Eden, but better? Can you imagine that? Now this word for new, the, the word I keep referencing, it, it comes from the Greek word kainos, 
it, it's something superior to what preceded it. In the Bible, it means something unused, like new wineskins or a new patch of cloth. It, the word kainos refers to something unknown, like Jesus' new teaching or the new name we receive from God or that new song that will be sung before the throne. It's an unknown lyric. And the word kainos refers to something unlike the old, kind of in contrast to the old, like the new covenant or the new wine in the kingdom, the new heavens and earth, this new creation. And you know when the biblical authors used this Greek word kainos, they weren't thinking of a restored creation, like restoring an old car. That's a different word. They didn't choose that word when talking about the new creation and new heavens and earth. It's something that will be reminiscent of the old, but much better, superior, a superior replacement, remarkably different, a totally fresh existence of superior quality to what preceded it. Simply put, a new creation with the resurrected Jesus as the centerpiece. In Jesus' resurrection, God's love was able to recreate life, even out of death. In Jesus, the curse is reversed. In the new living Jesus, C.S. Lewis put it, death itself is being unwound. So get it. Jesus' resurrection is the key that unlocks the dead bolt to open the door for all humans of all nations to enter into God's new creation together, a reunioning of heaven and earth as they originally existed in Jesus. We begin to taste what Adam and Eve had in Eden, ultimate life with God. And this is what Apostle Paul was getting at that was read just a moment ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, in Christ, he or she's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come in Christ. The new may be reminiscent of the old, yet remarkably different. You look somewhat familiar from the previous person, but much, much better in Jesus. In Christ, We are the regenerated people into something new. Your life in Jesus is this new creation from the Old Testament. In Christ, we find the antidote for the sin infection. In him, we have hope that he pioneered a way through. In Christ, the arc of life changes because in Christ, we discover what life after life on earth is all about. And that day is closer than ever. That's why the Apostle John could say this when God gave him a special peek into the future. In chapter 21 of Revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, what'd they do? They passed away. There's gonna be some form of a second heaven and a second earth. It probably is gonna be reminiscent of the old, yet remarkably different and superior to this old creation that we're in right now, going, going, gone. One of these days. One day, it'll be full relief. And for many of you, that's all you need to hear this first day of this year. One day, no more meds, clear mind, strong body. For others of us, it it may not be about you personally, but about a special needs child or an aging parent or an ill spouse. Jesus' resurrection ushers in a new world 
where we can rest and renew our strength. Here's the big thought. We find our strength today. Where do we find strength today? In the Jesus hope, the expectant hope of God's new creation. We find strength to start this new year in the hope of God's new creation. And you know, I find it interesting that when John the apostle peeked into the future, he doesn't tell us what will be there. He tells us what will not be there. He records Jesus saying, I'm making everything new. And here's what will not be in the new heaven and new earth. In the new overlap, in the new Eden, in the new creation, there shall be no more separation from God and no more tears and no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain. Kyle Adelman uh, thought of a few more things, and I, I actually added to his list, there will be no more fender benders or head-on collisions or broken bones or broken hearts or bloated stomachs or blisters or paper cuts. In the new heaven and earth, there'll be no more surgery or war or riots or famine or holiday family feuds or temper tantrums or struggle with sin temptations. In the new creation, there'll be no more murder or mosquitoes or migraines or memory loss or Monday mornings. No more rejection or comparison or loneliness or depression. No more need for band-aids or tissue boxes or wheelchairs. There'll be no pacemakers or cancer or radiation or chemotherapy. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no more Alzheimer's or asthma or ALS or HIV or MS or MRIs or x-rays or TSA and IRS. No more suicide bombers, no more school shootings. In the new creation, there'll be no more metal detectors or anxiety meds and no more middle-of-the-night phone calls or persecution, or oppression, or affliction. No more crosses alongside the road. No more miscarriages, or child abuse, or abortion, or euthanasia, or infanticide. No more iniquity of any kind. In the new creation, there'll be no more sex trafficking, or tornado sirens, or hurricane warnings, or coronavirus. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no more acne, or love handles, or saddlebags, or double chins, or back aches, or bad breath, or BO. No more shaving or plucking. No more socks without a match. No more stubbed toes or burnt food. No more yelling or bullying or traffic or road rage. In the new creation, there'll be no more racism or gender confusion or addiction or drama at work or hormones or crash diets. No more breakups or doubt. There's not going to be any more gossip or legalism or imposter syndrome or pretending. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no more isolation or injustice or infertility, infidelity, insecurity, or infomercials or inoperable tumors. There'll be no more guilt or shame or underdogs or bad guys getting off while the innocent suffer. 
in the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more need for security systems, no more amber alerts, no more embarrassing moments, no more sleepless nights or concussions or autism or sensory disorder or bipolar disorder. Child protective services won't be needed. There'll be no more taxes or HOAs and no more mortgages. There'll be no need for doctors and needles and mechanics No need for plumbers or accountants and dentists or surgeons or first responders. There will be no corrupt politicians or elections. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no funeral homes or nursing homes or orphanages or waiting rooms or animal hospitals or treatment centers. In the new creation, there'll be no more courtrooms or prisons or slums or tear-stained divorce papers, or pink slips. No more foreclosure notices. In the new heaven, in the new earth, there'll be no more ultrasounds, or tiny caskets, or death, or sadness, or crying, or pain. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. He is our hope. What part do we play? Intentionally live out heaven's hope on earth. (laughs) Proactively infuse all the rights of heaven into all the wrongs on earth until the new heaven and earth is complete. And how much longer will that be? Well, John records Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. And on the last page of our Bibles, John speaks our heart language, when we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. God, thank you for the world that we live in is not where we put our hope. There is more than what we see today. Lord, we don't find our strength in this life, but in the life that has promised us one day. So Jesus, would you you help set our minds on things above? Would you help us look at our eternal home to which you gave us the hope and the strength and the joy that we need for this day and this year. Holy Spirit, would you motivate this day by what it will be like on that day? And Lord, would you help us be ready? For we know that nothing really matters in this life except to prepare for the next. So Jesus... Ready our hearts for your soon return. Come, Lord Jesus, and you will make everything new. Amen. We're going to celebrate that hope with communion right now. And as the worship team leads us in a song, I'd encourage you to just make your way to the table in the back or the front and take the elements and Look into the hope of tomorrow.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.